Hey everybody, this is Jessup Warnock, the Director of Marketing here at 7 Figure Flipping. On today's podcast, we have another recording from the Runway event earlier this month. This time is a Q&A session with Bill Allen himself. He gets deep into financing, marketing, and tons more topics asked directly from the 7 Figure Runway members in the room. Want to get in this room interested in Runway? The link is in the description. Here's the podcast. My name is Bill Allen, and I'm the leader of a group of elite house flippers and wholesalers called Seven Figure Flipping. We don't brag or show off our success, but instead let integrity and stewardship be our guide. We are dedicated to helping people unlock the freedom they desperately need. If you ask other real estate investors, they will say to keep your secrets quiet. But we believe in abundance, not scarcity. And that's why we are the elite. We are Seven Figure Flipping, and this podcast is our playbook. So I've got you guys for the rest of the day. How's that sound? Good. I've got some really cool things planned. Um, but what I want to do, so you guys went, so yesterday we did the hot seats. Then we had a nice party last night. Was it good last night? Yeah. Fun, right? Yeah. And then you guys went, did the bus tours this morning, got to see some houses. I had some conversations with some different people at lunch talking about how that was actually really eye-opening for, for them. So for some of you guys, you might be like, you know, I do this all the time. It wasn't a huge breakthrough, but I'll tell you, that person sitting next to you or three rows back or three rows in front of you is a huge breakthrough for them. They might have seen something that they didn't realize. Um, they, uh, we were, I was talking to Tom um, in, uh, at lunch, and they were talking about how they, they never thought about buying a house in a really crappy area. <laughs> that you could actually make money on something like that. Like simple things like that sometimes, you know, that are, are huge. And so everybody probably saw something a little bit different on that bus tour. Um, so, so you never know what it's going to be for you. And we don't know either. So our goal is to, is to produce like something for you guys to have a breakthrough, put you in an opportunity next to the right person or in the right room for that thing that's going to happen whenever it happens. And what's cool for me is I never, like I told you when we started, I don't know what I'm going to get when I show up to these events. I don't know. I go for one thing and I leave for something totally different. You know, I think I know what I need, but I don't. And um, I hate to say it, but you don't either, but it'll come. It'll, it'll be that thing. And, and grab that thing, grab that one thing or that two things, the thing that changes your mindset, changes everything for your business, and use it when you go home. Um, so what I want to do now is I don't want you guys to leave here. So you, you came for something. You did the hot seats. You haven't been networking. You went on the tour. And I, I'm sure a lot of times you get questions. Like something pops into your head over the last day and a half. And so what I want to do is I want to give you guys the opportunity to just throw me out a question or a topic over this next short period that we're going to spend together. And let's see how we can answer it and make sure. The, my biggest thing is I don't want you to go home with something and not having gotten the answer to something or you got confused while you were here. So if there's something that you have a topic, we might go th three minutes on it. We might go 15 minutes on it. And then after that, I have some really cool things planned for you guys for a presentation that I have for some of the future things that are coming for you and, and some things to think about going forward. So what I want to do is just kind of like open it up to you guys to throw some things at me and then we can have a presentation on it. I'll figure out what the best solution is and then we'll see how many people need it. Right. Okay. Scott. Okay, so we got people that are doing like level A, B, C, or one, two, three, or whatever they're going to call it, right? So I'm going to do just like a paint and carpet type rehab, then I'm going to do something that's a little bit nicer, and then I'm going to do something that's a lot nicer, right? And so if I'm doing a price per square foot, what does that include? What does that not include? And then like I, I, I used to call it the big five, like mechanicals. So it's like roof, 
foundation, plumbing, electrical, HVAC, that kind of stuff, right? So what does it look like? You, got, you wanna help me here? Austin's got a microphone. My biggest thing for me is I created what I wanted it to look like. So if you guys are trying to use some like, Scott, it sounds like you wanna use a generic number. So when you're running the numbers, you can very quickly do some math on the, on the house, right? And so you're gonna figure out, okay, if, if I'm at 20, for me, when I was in Pensacola, it was 20 bucks a foot. Almost all my houses were $20 a square foot. But if I needed to put a roof on, I need to add the roof on top of that. If I need a whole new, so in Pensacola, we have a lot of aluminum wiring in older houses. So I know I got a whole house rewire. That's not included in my $20 a foot. I'm gonna have to add that on top. If I have to do the HVAC, I'm gonna have to add that on. If I'm gonna have to do some foundation work, I'm gonna add that on. So my levels were like 20, 25, and 30. I usually wouldn't go over $30 a foot. Now this is like 2008, 9, 10. Uh, uh, all, all, actually, all the way through uh, 2015. We're still 20, 25, 35 plus mechanicals. So we yep. price a roof at based on 1,000, 1,500, 2,000 square feet. So like 8,000, 10,000, and 12,000 for those roofs. We price the plumbing. If you got to do a full plumb, about $9,000 in our market. We price electrical at $12,000. So like if it needs those things, I got to ballpark it onto there. So a roof obviously is a big deal in Florida. Agree? Yeah. Okay, so when you guys are doing these like rough numbers, and, and if you're going to talk, so my recommendation, it's gonna be different in every area. Real estate's hyperlocal, right? And so for you guys, like if you're you might be in like New York City, and you're like, those numbers are way off. Or you're in LA, you're like, dude, nobody's doing anything for twenty dollars a foot. Because the houses are like six hundred square foot and they cost a million dollars. So if I could do that, it'd be like 12 grand rehab. <laughs> I'd be like, yes, you know? And so you buy everything. But so the things are gonna just adjust. So if my recommendation is always to talk to somebody in the local market. So another flipper, another wholesaler, things like that. Any, like when I went into Chattanooga, as an example, when I went in Chattanooga, I found a guy who knew Chattanooga. He knew every zip code. He knew all the people there. I met him at a RIA, like a local meetup. And I said, hey, Yogi, his name was Yogi. I was like, can I buy, can I buy you a cup of coffee? Exact opposite of, because I knew he was, he was drinking coffee while he was there. So like, I, I'm a, can I meet you and, and do this? And we got, to, we got to talking, I had some experience. So he's like, yeah, like, this guy seems to be somebody that I would sit down and talk with. He was very friendly, very helpful. And so I sat down with him and I, I just asked him about every single zip code. Where should I buy, where should I not buy? Tell me about this, tell me about that. Tell me about Chattanooga. And he did. He walked me through the whole thing. And so if I was talking to him, say, hey, uh, when you're rehabbing a house, what would it be on, you know, price per square foot? What do you see? And then he would tell me. And I would take that. And, and then my next question might be for you, Scott, does that include a roof, a HVAC? Like, are you including that stuff? And then you just kind of ask the right questions. You'll get the right answers locally. So for all of you guys, build it out like that. And yeah, we usually just add things on. So... Sound good? Not a dumb question at all. Good job. Okay. So what he told me was that I could put all of those people in an LLC, um, but is there a number of members that I need to cap that at before I get into some trouble? Yeah, so what Rob is asking is, um, there's people who are giving me like small amounts of money. How do I do that where I can kind of bundle it together to, to do a project with or something with? You know, a lot of you guys have that question. I get it all the time especially on the 500K challenge, when I'm ever doing like a five-day challenge on money raising and things. So it's a little challenging. Um, so small amounts of money. The conversation that I like to have with people, 
So by the way, if they have 25, they have more. I'm just gonna tell you right now. If they have 25, they're just giving, like here's 25, they have more. They have more in IRAs, 401ks, things like that. They're testing you for sure. So, and, and also you can get more from the beginning. So that's my first recommendation is go get more. And, and so the way that I get more, so if somebody's like, oh, I have 25. So I have a guy right now who's got 50. I know he's got about 100. But he wants to put 50 in. And so I don't really have anything that can just handle 50K right now. I need like 103 for a deal right now. So I'm just kind of like waiting him out till he's ready to give me the whole 100. I, I know he has 100. So I asked him. So I say, the, the talk track that I usually use is, okay, so maybe in there I'm like, well, how much would you be comfortable investing in? They say 25K. And so then my next answer is, okay, well, you know, a typical house in my market, what's a typical house in your market? 285. So I'm like, yeah, you know, a typical house in my market, I buy it for this. I buy it, for, is that ARV, 285? So I buy it for, you know, 150. I put, or maybe I buy it for, you know, 175. I put $25,000 into it and I sell it for 285. So I got a couple options for you. The first option is, and it's my favorite one, is that I can secure it in a first position mortgage for you. But what that means is you need to have about 175,000 to get the first position mortgage like the bank, okay? The other option is I could find somebody else to do that 175,000, get first position like the bank, and then I could use your $25,000 for the rehab costs. So you can come in on just the rehab side. So you could do something like that. And, and then I might say, you know, is, would, you would you like to like, invest in the whole project? and have that first position mortgage, and what could that look like? And they might be like, ah, you know, I don't have $175,000. I have, you know, 25, maybe I could find 50. At that point, I'm like, they're like, oh, may, oh, I might have like 100, but I don't have 175, so they're like, bingo. Like, I'm not asking them for it, but I'm asking them what it might look like. They might say, I, all I have is 25, that's it, right? So I wanna have that conversation first. So that's the foundation before you guys start to say, oh, you only have 25, and just assume that that's true. It's usually not true. And then when they say, all I have is 25, I go, oh, you don't have, I guess you don't have like an IRA or 401k. You haven't been saving your money for a long time in any of those retirement accounts. They'd be like, no, I have an, I have an IRA. Oh, did you know that you could use that in real estate? Uh, no, I never, never knew that because Wall Street's been paying billions of dollars for years to make sure I didn't know that, right? So then I would go to IRAs, 401ks, asking those kind of things, right? So all this makes sense so far? So this is the, the kind of talk track that I would get to to say, all I'm trying to figure out is how much money you got. And then I can figure out how to get you comfortable investing with me with more than just the 25K. So this is me talking around, figuring out how much money you have, right? Step one, okay? So now step two is I only got 25K. Okay, so what are the options? Uh, this is, this is a, probably a long presentation, but the next step for me is, your $25,000, is that all you have in your bank account, right? Because I don't want to take your, if a tree falls on your house, or if you have an emergency or have a medical issue, I don't want you calling me three weeks from now and asking you for your 25K back because it's not going to be available. I don't say it like that, but I do say like, you know, do you have an emergency fund? Do you have any other savings? Where is this money coming from? What would happen, like how long can you, can, can this be invested in something for where it's illiquid? You can't just get it back on a phone call. Because I want to set the stage then, not three weeks from now, when they call me like, I need my 25K back. Right? And they're freaking out and you go, sorry, I can't give it back to you. We have a note for a year. 
right? And so have that talk a little bit. And now I get 25K. I say, okay, it can be a rehab, money, right? Is one option. It could be an unsecured note to my business against my business, right? So my business owes them the 25,000 and I can use it. And I would, I would recommend using it to buy something. So you could actually like have a couple lenders that would put in, somebody puts in 50, unsecured 125 or 150. And you kind of put that towards the property where you own it. Um, there are some, there are, see how far I want to go with this for you guys. I don't want to freak you out, but when you start getting a lot of unsecured debt and a lot of people investing in your company, there's something called blue sky laws. They're different in different states. And so I just, the biggest thing is take care of the people that invest with you. If you, and track the money. We'll talk about finances. Like I'm doing a financial training. We did one at Altitude. I'm building out a course for you guys on financial training, but track the money. Like it's very easy to get kind of upside down with unsecured debt where you don't know how much equity is in your business and you're just taking money all the time. That's also known as a Ponzi scheme. If you don't have anything that you can pay them back, right? You're just taking money to, to use it for marketing. So you guys will use it on marketing and manpower and operations and stuff like that, right? And then next thing you know, you sell the house, you don't make as much money, and now you're negative $15,000, but you weren't tracking unsecured debt. Make sense? I realize I'm kind of dancing around some of this stuff, but I want to give you guys all the risks and all the rewards from it. So now, what I'd like to do is put it like against a rehab on a property. So I find another person of, or a hard money lender, and then that 25K is for my draws and my down payment, which is very helpful, right? So you can do, do it that way. That's the easiest way to do it with somebody's 25K. What you're asking me is, can I pool people together to create an LLC or a note to invest in the deal? So can I put, if maybe you're buying one for 150, right? Can I buy, put, I put six people together for $25,000 and they all invest in this deal, first position mortgage. Here's the problem. They would have to create an LLC. This is one option to create an LLC together and they each own a percentage of it, which means they all have to become partners. Do six of you want to get together in one LLC, become a partner, invest in first position mortgage, and you guys kind of know each other. A lot of you are shaking your heads and like, nah, not interested, right? So that's one option. Maybe if it's like two family members that want to get together and do something like that, but then they got to pay for the LLC, they got to set it up, they got to pay for, um, they got to, they got to have, do a tax return on it, potentially, all kinds of stuff like that. Um, the other option would be a fractionalized note. I prefer this. So... Um, let's say Bill and me each put in 75K and we invested first position in your deal, right? We have one note, we have one mortgage. I own 50% of the note, so it says 50% to William Allen, right? 50% to Bill's LLC or his personal name. And so we each own 50%. We get 50% of the returns that we get. Maybe we do two points, 12% with you. And then we split it. So every check that you send, you send half to him and half to me. Right now, I'll give you an example. Right now, I'm doing a note. But she's in the altitude group. I'm doing a note for somebody out of my IRAs. I have two IRAs. She needed 130,000. I I only had I had 75 and 55. So 75 divided by 130,000 is the percentage of one of my LLCs, my IRAs. 55,000 divided by 130,000 is the other percentage. We wrote one note, and it said. Here's the debt, this percent to the, and this percent. And so every time they pay each month, they split it. Like 65% and 35% or whatever the numbers are equal. It's, it's like 
Does that make sense to you guys? So you can fractionalize a note. A lot of people don't know that. And that's what I would recommend if, but you're going to have a problem doing like getting six people together on a fractionalized note. But then you can tie that note to it and you can tie the mortgage to it. You don't need LLCs and all that other stuff. They can set up their own individual LLC and do a fractionalized note together. Those are the two ways I would do it. Both a little bit complicated, right? But not, not, not impossible. And in fact, like a good title company should be able to help you with something like that. Um, and it's, it's, not, it's not overly complex unless you get outside of like two or three. Like I've done it where I've had four different entities, but they're all mine. So I don't have any other decision makers involved. And they can't foreclose if you go late. You'd have to go late and all that stuff. And then they'll foreclose together and stuff. But no, so, so no, a second lien would be totally different. So, so that fractionalized note, you can have an unsecured note that's fractionalized. So it, remember, it's a, the note is a promissory note is just a promise to pay. That's it. I owe you. It's an I owe you. That's a big one. You better hold on to that one, right? I owe you. And then what they do is they take that and they tie, uh, tie it to a mortgage. The mortgage or the deed of trust, depending if you're in a judicial, judicial state, mortgage or deed of trust will tie that note to the property. That's the leverage that they have on the property, right? So without the mortgage or the deed of trust, it's just an IOU, which, I mean, they could sue you to get the money back and things like that but it's, it's a challenge to get unsecured money back. And then you could also wrap a personal guarantee on top of a note to say, not only will the LLC pay you, but I'll also pay you personally. So that's a little bit more security they can give a lender if they're interested in that, unsecured. Did I go too far on this stuff? Did, any questions? Does it make sense? A second position would be, I, I, in that, that house, buying it for 175, maybe somebody comes in for 100 and somebody comes in for 75. So I could put first position on the person 100, and I could put a second position on the person for 75. They're just in a subordinate position on the note, on the, on the mortgage. I could bring in somebody for 175 and first, and I could bring the rehab in for 25 on a second. Right? I can do first, second, third. You can get really crazy with this stuff. But don't, like... I feel like I made it really complex for you guys just now. And just hopefully for some of you that are raising money right now, you're like, oh, there's a few things I didn't know about. And for others, they're like, I don't want you to feel like, oh my gosh, this is like too, too crazy for me. Just go raise money for the house. Like if you're flipping houses, raise money for the house. Don't go raise money for operations. Okay? This is the challenge that I feel like a lot of people, they, they just, they, they're not tracking their money. They don't understand the finances. You don't know how much equity you have in the homes and you don't know how much debt you have against your, your company. That's simple math. I have this much money in my bank account. I have this much in my assets. So I have this much in my houses, potential profit. And then I have this much debt. The bottom is equity. This is how much money I have potentially. If I sold all my inventory, this is how much money my company's worth. Right? Okay. Yes. Hello. Testing. Okay. Um, don't you usually uh, buy a house in a different LLC? Or do you use, the, like, the tax advice I've received is to set up a separate LLC for each house? Good that question. You buy? So, specifically, every time I buy a house, do I do it? Do I set up, like, 
five different LLCs for one flip in each LLC. Yes. Okay. So you may have heard the same thing on rental properties, right? And maybe I just have one rental property per LLC, or I have like five rental properties in one LLC, then another five rental properties, and then another five, and a holding entity for those LLCs, right? Okay. So <clears throat> I'm going to give you my cliff notes on this. I flipped my first two houses in my personal name. I held all my rental properties in my personal name, all my 10 rental properties as I was growing my portfolio. And what I did was I put a huge umbrella policy. Fr frankly, I didn't have any money. I didn't have a lot of money. Like people want to come after me for liability. I didn't have a lot of money at the time. Um, those assets became more valuable. I had a, like a couple million dollar umbrella policy for if I got sued. So there's two things that you always, well, really three things you want to weigh in any of this stuff. One is liability. So what, what are people going to go after? They're going to sue me. So it's a lawyer. A lawyer is going to give you advice, right? And then tax advice. A CPA is going to give you advice. So a lawyer is going to tell you to do one thing, and a CPA is going to tell you to probably do another thing. So you have to just kind of weigh that. The third thing that I look at that, that neither one of them will really talk about is complexity. So those are the three things that I look at. Liability, tax, and complexity. So inside of those three, I want the least complex with the best tax strategy and likely the most chance for me to get sued. And if I do get sued, the, chance, the least chance that they actually get anything. A lot of these like um, holding companies and all this other stuff is designed so that nobody knows who you are. Everybody knows who I am. And as I told you yesterday, I want them all to know who I am, right? So you guys are also going to be kind of loud and proud with a lot of what you're doing and things like that. If you listen to me, if you don't, you can kind of like hide under a rock and pretend like you don't exist and not get free leads and free deals. So, so the, 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 the visibility is probably like going to be there. So you want to protect yourself as best you can. I wouldn't flip a house. I wouldn't personally advise you to flip a house in a bunch of different LLCs because there's so much complexity with that and there's so much cost and tax problems. Like every single LLC will have a different like set of books, a different set of returns potentially depending on how you structure it. And you'll be paying a lot of fees each year for each, each different LLC. So I'd rather like flip in this LLC. I might hold rentals and, and mix them out in a couple different ones. But I wouldn't, I always flipped houses in my, in my, my one LLC. Right. And so, and then have insurance that's going to cover me on liability for, for all of the value of those homes. And if somebody sued me for liability occurrences. Like somebody slipped and fall, fell on the job. Like a contractor fell off a ladder and wants to sue me, right? And so that also gives me some sort of tax strategy. But you're a dealer, so it's all active income. So there's not like a lot of tax strategy inside house flipping, unless you're doing it in your IRA or something. Does that make sense? I hope I answered it. I, I'm not going to tell you like what's best for you or not best for you. You guys just kind of have to figure it out. Um, and I did say in the beginning, like I did all of it in my personal name. I probably wouldn't do that again if I was you. Like I'd create an LLC because then you can like write off your, um, your education. You can write off a lot of travel and trips and things like that. So if you have an entity, it makes it much more realistic that you're running an actual business, not like coming to Nashville to have fun with your friends for two days where I was doing like my personal name. That makes sense. But like for me, it's like complexity. I have a, I have like, I get like 13 K-1s from all the apartment buildings right now, uh, like partnership returns. I get, I have like six different LLCs that all have tax returns that have to be run and filed. Um, and so I just try to make things really simple. 
I can own my airplane in my personal name. Most people wouldn't have done that. But, I mean, I just have a huge, like, umbrella liability policy that, that will, should cover, like, up to $10 million plus if somebody comes after me. So it's kind of like what I would recommend is, is look at umbrella policy for liability and then look at entity structure, those two to protect you. Um, is that, like, is this too high level for you guys? Does this make sense? Okay. Am I, am I confusing anyone? And if you are, raise your, like, if at the end of any of these questions you are confused, raise your hand, please. And just say, I'm confused. Can you help me here? Because I don't want to, I, I told you, I don't want you to leave with any, like, a bunch of questions. I certainly don't want to put them in your head at the end. Okay? Fair? Like, seriously, if you, it, it's okay if you're like, you lost me, man. Bring the holding company you're talking about? Like, uh, so, not, not exactly. He said, like, just forget about the holding company if I'm going to be out there. Um, so, there is a, a, a huge benefit to having a holding company and LLCs underneath. Like, just because you're out there and people know who you are doesn't necessarily mean you, you own that. They know you own that thing over there, right? So, just working with kind of a balance for each of you. What does your net worth look like? What's your exposure? You know, like I said, for me, when I was getting started, like... I didn't really have a ton of net worth. They're like 300 grand. I was worth like 300,000 bucks. That was nothing that a $1 million liability policy wasn't gonna take care of, you know, in the beginning. And then as I started growing net worth, I started growing exposure, I started growing that stuff, now I need to be careful. Because at some point, it's not like about, if you get sued, it's like, when are you gonna get sued? And so I also don't go into things saying like, I'm gonna get sued, I need all this armor to cover my little pile of money when the dude down there is worth $10 million, they're just gonna go after him, you know? And so once you get more in, you get more in the spotlight, you start doing a lot better, then you need to say, hey, I, I need to bring in some counsel, I need some advice. Like I'm at that point right now where it's like, hey, I'm gonna go do bigger things, I probably need somebody who's on speed dial to just say, hey, you should probably set it up like this and then do an annual review, what does it look like? So for you guys, you're kinda just still getting started? So I wouldn't like, you don't have to build this like massive conglomerate of like 50 different entities and protect all the stuff that you don't have yet. Make sense? Okay. But the whole, I mean, so if you're going to hold a ton of rentals, holding company might make a lot of sense. If you're going to, if you're going to do a ton of different businesses or you already have like two or three different businesses, you're starting another one, might make sense to do something like that. What kind of insurance policy do I carry when I'm doing flips? Um, what kind of insurance policies do you guys carry when you're doing flips? Builder's risk? Yeah. So I did use a builder's risk policy when I was flipping houses. And then I had like personal umbrella policy. And then I had like some entity insurance. It's like it's just general liability insurance for the entity potentially. So th that's kind of what I would look at, like those couple things. Because if they found like I own the entity and then they want to come after me and all the other things that I own, that my, my liability policy would cover that. Your, your umbrella policy is usually tied to your auto insurance. So if you guys don't know this, you, you go to the auto insurance company usually to get these umbrella policies. And so I did that to roll in all my rental properties under it and everything that I owned, all that stuff. And then my um, builder's risk policy, I would look at liability occurrences. You can bump that up or you can bring it down. So you don't have to take the policy that they say, here you go. You can say, hey, I actually want like a million dollar liability on the house, and you can just kind of, so at that point, I look at risk and reward. <laughs> like I don't need, necessarily need to pay like an extra $5,000 for more coverage, 
on there if I, you know, contractor. And I also want to make sure the contractors carry those too. So make sure that you, when you, you guys are getting working with general contractors or subs, you're, you're most likely not checking their insurance policies right now, right? Who's checking their insurance policies? Like, be honest. Cool. Who's not? Hey, we got some honest people up in here. So you want to make sure that, so when they say I'm licensed, insured, and bonded, go, can I see it? Seriously. Because they'll say, oh, I'm licensed, insured, and bonded. And then you look them up on the contractor website of your local county, and they're not licensed in the county. Like, you can check very easily. It's not hard. It's a little machine called Google. You can check it. Yeah, so Sherry said, make sure you call them, like call the insurance to make sure that they have it. <laughs> and it's still current, because they'll, they'll cancel it or it'll be out of date. Um, real quick, and then I'll, and then I'll, I'll call you. The, um, I do the same thing with my, when I'm lending money to people, right? I want to have a lender's policy, and I also want to be named as an additional insured on their policy. And what that means, when they name me as additional insured, and they have my email address, I get notified when you guys stop paying your insurance bills on your flips. So it happens all the time. Like six month policies up, I get an email and it's like, haven't paid. So I'll reach out to the borrower and I'll be like, hey, what's going on? I just got an email and a letter that's you guys not, not paying your insurance policy. And so that's one thing that you can give as uh, something that's to feel good to your lenders. Like you'll be an additional insured on the policy. That way if my house burns down, you get paid first then me. They're not sending the check directly to me. And so it's something nice that you can, like if you're professional like that, the people that you do business with are like, man, this is pretty cool. So I always get lender's title policy when I'm lending money to people and I always give it to somebody else. And then um, additional insured. And uh, those are kind of my setups when I'm lending money. Yeah, Rob. Yeah, you say most of the hard money lenders will say that these are the requirements on insurance um, and that you have to have. Yeah, deeper on uh, lending money and being able to use your IRA and 401k to invest in real estate deals. Um, so IRA and 401k, it's pretty easy. Um, I'm gonna, right here, I'll give you the guy's email address right now. His name's Scott Maurer. This is who, this is who I use. Uh, it's called, their company's Advanta IRA. It's an Advanta, A-D-V-N-T-A. Advanta, they're in Tampa. Advanta IRA. Scott Maurer, M-A-U-R-E-R. M-A-U-R-E-R. Been trying to get them to sponsor Flip Hacking Live for like the last three years. So, if you, a bunch of you guys reach out to them and be like, I'm only rolling my money over if you sponsor Flip Hacking Live this year, that would help me. Um, but his, his email is smauer, so S M A U R E R, at advantaira.com. And I hope you guys are all thinking about like this and, and figuring out who to use because if you have somebody that comes to you as a lender with an IRA, you want to be the connector for that to control it. So you hand them off to Scott, Scott sets them up, they're thankful to you, and they only invest in your deals because you showed them how. What happened was interesting when I got, got into the, this mastermind and I went to the first meeting and I kind of became like, I talked about IRAs a lot. I started raising money in IRAs and 401ks. What ha started to happen was people would, would give, me, give their lenders my phone number to talk to them. And start like, like referring people to me to help them with their IRAs and 401ks and talk them through the process. And what happened was that at the end of that, they wanted to invest with me, not them. You know, well, you built a relationship, right? I wasn't trying to steal their lenders, but they're like, I don't understand this. I don't know about a call bill. He can help you. 
So my recommendation to all of you is start learning about it. If you can become the expert on that, people, you start, people start coming to you to say, hey. so what I did was, the way that I did that was I, I converted mine. So I learned the process. I knew the forms to fill out. I knew who to talk to. I understood it all. And then I started talking about it. I started kind of learning more. Uh, at the time, I read a book called, hmm, I think it was The Self-Directed IRA Handbook by Matt Sorensen. I don't know if it's still any good. It was like eight years ago, nine years ago. Um, but it's not overly complex. My biggest piece of advice is you go to Advanta's website, you roll your IRA over, you watch how it's done, and then you just duplicate it for other people. Like you can become the expert. Now there are some prohibited transactions, things like that inside of an IRA. You do need to get smart on that, but your custodian will help that. So your custodian will check and make sure a lot of that, all that stuff, they're, they're responsible. They're the custodians. They have to make sure that you're not lending money to yourself or, or your dad, right? Or your kids. You can, you can do brothers and sisters. So like up and down is no good, but sideways is okay. All right? So no up and down. No moms, dads, no kids. Self-directed IRA, you can do like gold, silver, real estate, um, notes, paper. You can do all kinds of stuff in there. Um, it's just non-traditional assets. Bitcoin now, crypto, you can do in self-directed IRAs, um, but just not stock market. Like it's non-traditional assets. Isn't it interesting that they call this non-traditional? They call the houses non-traditional and the stock market's traditional? It's ridiculous. Like they, they coined that term to continue to brainwash you that the stock market is the only place for you to make money. Non-traditional asset. This is like the most traditional thing. This is before the stock market. Land. Land was before the stock market. House before the stock market. That's traditional. Stock market is non-traditional. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, I made a reel about this yesterday. And Morgan was like, okay, stock market versus real estate. Do you need any uh, hooks? I was like, no. Let's go. <laughs> I was like, He's like, man, that one was really good. First take. I was like, I know. Let's do six more. So, uh, okay. And so I would recommend that, learning about it, uh, understanding. This is really powerful, whether you have one or not. Like, if you can be the expert on that, or just, you're not even an expert, just kind of know what you're talking about. I'll tell you guys this. If you want to do more in an area, you want to raise more money, you want, to you want more of something, like, focus on it and learn a little bit about it. If you want to get better at something, go focus on it and learn a little bit about it. You don't have to become, the ex you don't have to know everything. I know a little bit about a lot of stuff, so I can kind of talk to different things, but there's like certain things that I'm, I, can, I'm, I know more than everybody else, most people. But there's other areas where I just, I know enough to have a conversation where people are like, yeah, I could probably ask this guy a lot of stuff. But I, I don't, there's people that are way smarter than me in all those other areas. But I'll say, you don't, you don't need to know everything. But if you can start just like ask questions, get curious about some things, you're going to be able to help other people do that stuff. Um, and I think this, like the money side, if you want to raise a bunch of money, understanding how it works, understanding what a note and a mortgage is, understanding how to protect them, understanding that stuff, then you can educate, you can, um, you can talk to them at a level where they feel confident. You want to build confidence and trust in everything that you do, right? If you're talking to a contractor, you're talking to an insurance person, or you're talking to a partner or an agent or those kind of things, you want to build, they, if they, a, a seller, if they see that they're confident that, they'll, they can, you, that you can buy their house, you're going to beat the other person. 
Even, even in cost and money. You could give them a little bit less money, but they're more confident you'll get the deal done. Right? So that's the thing. I think you just got to build confidence by building your own confidence. And you build confidence in others. Do you know what I want to do? What do you want to know what I did, or do you want to know what you should do? Tell me what I should do. Okay. So the I mean, this is just like real talk, right? The I just put in one account before. I would not recommend doing that. I'm very good with money. Like I'm very good about my other spreadsheet, tracking everything, understanding equity, how much equity I have in the in the in the company, where all the money is, tracking it all. I'm very good at that. Most people are not. So what I would do is, let's say, like, you guys are going to lend me money. You guys are going to lend me some money. You guys are going to lend me some money. It's unsecured money, right? But it's going towards a rehab on two of my flips that I have going on. What I would do, if I was you, is I would set up an account, a bank account for each of these properties. Okay? So I have a bank account for the flip that their money's going and a flip that your money's going. And I, I intentionally put money in there for the hard money payments, the rehab costs, all that stuff. And it's in two separate accounts. It doesn't touch my operational account that pays payroll, um, the credit card, any of that stuff. I don't rob from that. Like if it's a $25,000 rehab that you guys are giving me money for, $25,000 rehab they're giving me money for, there's $25,000 in that account. When a $5,000 payment needs to go out to this contractor, $5,000 goes out from that account. When $5,000 goes from here, $5,000 goes out from there. Make sense? It doesn't, it doesn't co-mingle with all my other, like, uh, CRM payments, my, my personal cell phone bill, my car payment that I have on the company, my lead intake manager, my VAs, my marketing that's going out. Like, that's separate. Yes. that's So, like, right now, I'll give an example. Right now, we do these owner finance deals in Kentucky. Okay? Owner finance in Kentucky. When I raise money, so let's say Philip Blake is financing my house that I bought. I'm buying it for $30,000. We're putting $30,000 into it. It's going to be worth $100,000 when we sell it. I raise, I raise $85,000 for that house when I buy it. So I raise $85,000 on a first position mortgage, and they get monthly payments. And so I, I put $30,000 buys the house, $30,000 goes in a rehab account, and I pay myself $25K. That's how I do that, okay? And from that 25K, actually I don't pay myself directly. If 25K goes in the operating account, and then I decide how much to distribute to myself. Because I might keep five grand in there for marketing costs and operational costs because we're getting low, and I'll distribute 20 to myself. And then while the rehab's going, I pay out the 30 as the rehab goes, we get it done, and then we rent it out for like, you know, thousand bucks a month. Okay, I need your money now? Yep, okay. yeah, so I find the deal, I understand all the numbers, I have it, and then I present it to investors, and I say, you're going to get paid on day one. Like, you're getting paid 850 bucks every single month on day one, well, even while we're rehabbing. If it takes me six months to rehab it and get it finished, fine. You're going to get paid every single month. So for you guys, it's, for a flip, I would do the same thing. I try to raise, I try to raise like 105 or 110% of the flip. You see, we're raising more than the 60K that we've been into it. And so it's just the model of that business. So for you guys, if I was flipping, I know I got to make utility payments, insurance payments, uh, hard money loan payments, all this stuff. And that's why you guys are cash poor. That's why you flippers have no money in your bank accounts. Seriously. Because there's a lot of other payments that go out, right? So I want to just keep all that money in the... So if I raise, if I, if I know it's going to be a 100000 purchase and a 25 k rehab, 
I might want to raise 135 for it. So you've got to be able to explain the value of the home, the after repair value, what you're doing. You have a general contracting license, a background, history, things like that. You could probably build trust in them to, to fund that much. Because I'm like, what does it matter what I'm buying it for and what I'm rehabbing it for? All you care about is the security and my background and my history. You're investing in me and you're investing in this deal. If you feel good about it, and they usually don't ask questions and they get their payment every single month. And so I can do that. It's legal, right? And so now I'm going to raise an extra 10K to give me contingency, give me payments for insurance, um, utilities, all that stuff, right? So the question was like, you're having general conversations about funding until you find the deal. So, okay, so as you're raising money, what do you, like, how do you raise money before you have a property? Anybody have that problem? Like, I don't have a deal right now, but I want to ra start raising money. Yeah? Yeah, just start, you start talking about what you're doing. Here's my vision. This is where I'm going. This is my direction. I'm so excited about it. Like, come along with this. If you guys want to partner with me on these deals, like, I'm underwriting deals. I'm making offers on a regular basis. And so then what I would do is I would say, hey, I'm talking to them about investing, right? And I kind of know, like, my buy box. You guys have a buy box? Like, th it's around this purchase range, this kind of bedrooms, bathrooms, this area that I'm looking, right? And so I sell them the vision of what I'm doing and where I'm going. You're like, did you watch that HGTV show last week? It was so good. Yeah, I watched it. Like, okay, those are the kind of houses that I'm buying. I'm fixing them up, making them look beautiful. I'm so excited about this new venture. And in the beginning, it's people that already know you. They already know you, and I'm transferring trust from what they know me from and what I did before to where I am now. Okay? I'm transferring trust from what I did before, which is whatever your life was, whatever you've been successful in right now, you can transfer your skill set, your ability, and your trust to a new thing. Do you guys agree with that? If you were an amazing nurse that was best in the business, you went from brand new to the expert in the last 15 years, and now you're going into real estate, I would say, I'm going to do the exact same thing. Like They believe that you can win, that you can do the same thing. If you've been an absolute bum your whole life and you have screwed over everybody and you have never paid back the loans that you've borrowed in the past, you're not going to be able to transfer trust from where you were to where you're going, right? Like, seriously, if you think about this, I see so many people come in and like, I've never done a deal before. I have no idea what any, anybody would invest with me. What are you talking about? Like, it's in the beginning, it's people you know, like, and trust. They already trust you. Just transfer it from the thing that they know you from before to now. My friends from high school are not investing in me it, when I got started. They're not. They're just not. They're like, this guy is wild. It's like, no. My friends from college, they were not like jumping at the bit, jumping at the bit to invest in me. My people in my, in my first squadron, my military squadron, my commanding officer, my, the other guys in my squadron, they were investing with me from the beginning. Some of my family, some of my family, has seen me do great things, win awards, be really good in school, things like that. They were investing with me, right? They didn't like go out on Friday night and party with me in high school and college, right? So they, they, I could transfer trust in some of them, right? And so this is what you do in the beginning. And so then I would build a list. So what I would say is, hey, I, I, don't, I don't have anything to fund right now, but I just made two offers last week and I have two more offers going out this week. What would you be comfortable investing? And they say, you know, oh, it sounds like, and I talked about the ARV, maybe $150,000, you know? I'd be interested in that. Okay, well, that's perfect. Like, that would, it's exactly what I'm looking for. Can I put you on my list 
And the next deal I find, I'll call you. And they're like, yeah, that sounds great. And you say, okay, well, I have some other people on this list. So what kind of interest rate were you thinking? Because the lower interest rate, the first person I call. And so some people came to me and they're like, oh, yeah, I want 15% interest rate. Like, oh, my stock portfolio is doing amazing. I made 15% last year. I'm like, okay, cool. Well, what do you want to make here? They're like, 15%. And I was like, I'll put you on the list, but I may never call you. And if you were at 6%, I will be the, you'll be the first phone call I ever make. And this dude was like, yeah, I was just kidding. Like, I know I'm not getting 15%, but I really like the eight. I was like, okay, I put you on the list at eight. The eight was at the time. So this is the kind of method that I use for many years to kind of build a list when I don't have deals. And now I have like real good, qualified, ready to, ready to sell leads. The next question I would ask them is, if I got a deal tomorrow, how long would it take for you to make the investment? Because they might be like, oh, I have to transfer it out of stock. I have to move my IRA over to a self-directed IRA like you told me about. That's going to take like three weeks or four weeks. You know, so you got to get that process moving right now. Oh, let's get that going right now then. So then when I have a deal, it'll already be ready to invest. So start thinking about this. Like, um, is that stuff making sense? Helpful? Okay, I saw you had your hand up, then I'll come back here. So he's asking, okay, so if they have their money in, a, in, a, in the stock market in their IRA, right? and you're moving them into a self-directed IRA, and it takes three weeks to do that transfer, potentially. So first of all, as they're doing the paperwork, they can keep it in the stock market, potentially. And then it might take like two weeks for you to get like the account set up, and, and then they would wire the money over, like liquidate it and wire the money over. And then you're, what you're saying is it might be two more months before I find a deal, and it's just sitting there idle, okay? You're having a sales conversation with these people. In my opinion right now, I would rather my family have their money out of the stock market for the next two months than in it. Because I say, well, I mean, you can leave it over there and wait till I get a deal. And then it'll, because it means it might take you three weeks to close it. You might be able to work it out, right? But I'd say, well, what happens if you lose 10% in the next three weeks or two months? Like, so just what do you feel in the stock market right now? They're calling you for some reason. They hate their returns, something like that. Like, yeah, you know what? You might just have to be a little bit patient with me. It might take a little bit. Like, I'm making offers on a regular basis. I just don't know when it's going to come. But if you want to be the person that invests in that vehicle with me, getting this return, then you just might have to, you have to be okay with maybe waiting a couple months. So it's just, it's the conversation. Like, it really depends. I might not advise those people to take their money out. Like, during coronavirus, we had an amazing apartment deal before corona hit, under contract. Awesome apartment. In Murfreesboro, great apartment. I would have to raise like eight million bucks. Coronavirus hit. We started getting concerned about um, the, like, could we kick people out? Could we evict? All this stuff, these moratoriums were happening. And then the stock market tanked by like 45%. And so I was like, I, I just told my partners, I said, look, I don't know if I can raise the money right now because I'm not telling my family and my investors and all the people I know to take their money out of the stock market when it just tanked by 45%, and I don't think it's gonna stay there very long. So I just won't do it. Everybody else is like, get your money out of the stock market, the stock market's gonna go down 80%. I'm like, no, it's not. Like, in like three days it went down so far, I was like, I can't raise money right now. All my investors have their money in the stock market that I would raise from. I can't, we canceled it. Like, man, when we came out of the coronavirus, stock market pumped up. They sold it for 1.2 million more than we had it under contract for like three months later. Such a good deal. And, but I just, I, I couldn't 
We would have missed the deadline. I wouldn't have raised the $8 million, Or I would have been telling my family to do something that I wouldn't do. So you just have to figure out where you are in the cycle. Like right now is a great time to raise money, I think. I really do think there's going to be a bit of a slaughter in the stock market. At the very least, it's going to be like jagged like this for a long time. And so for me, like I want my people's money out of there. I want to go make them consistent returns that compound over time and show them like I can double their money every five years. And if I can do that for people, it's great. Let me answer that one, then I'll go to the second one. So the people were, that you borrow money from, interest only, or amortizing it, or what? So, um, so yeah, I don't do any amortization at all. And for my Kentucky stuff, they get paid interest only. No principal, just interest. Interest only, and then, because we're selling them on lease option, like owner finance deals, so that buyer's supposed to buy the house, will pay off their principal when they buy it. Um, but a lot of times we just like turn it, like they make a down payment, we take the down payment and then they don't pay and then we, we get somebody else in. And, yeah, we sell it over. So, um, so for you as a flipper though, what I would recommend doing is I would recommend ballooning the deal. So I would recommend you get the loan, you let the interest accrue, and then you pay the interest at the end. So when you sell the property, you pay the principal and all the interest that's accrued at the end. So that's what I always did when I was flipping. So I would raise $100,000 if I was paying them 10%, for example, and I held it for a year. It's very simple math. I owe them $110,000, right? So when I sold the deal at the end of the year, I'd pay them back $110K. But I wouldn't have to make any payments. For private money, this is easy. They, they, and especially IRAs and 401Ks is the best because they don't care if they get their payments in their account. They can't use it. They, I get, you give me $1,000 a month in my IRA, it's like, what am I going to use that for? I'm not investing $1,000 somewhere. So I would, I would just balloon it. So I'd recommend that because that helps your cash flow as a flipper, right? You don't have to pay monthly payments. Hard money lenders and like me and, and Kiavi and these hard money, they want monthly payments. And I didn't really care about monthly payments for a long time. But when you guys start lending money, you care about monthly payments because the bank wants to see that you're getting monthly payments. So when I go get financing, if I have income, regular income every month, it helps me. So that's the answer for that. So I would recommend you guys... When you're borrowing other people's money, you balloon it. When you're lending your own money, you get monthly payments. Make sense? When you're, bar when you're borrowing other people's money, you get it as cheap as possible. When you're lending it, you make it as expensive as possible. That makes sense? Do the opposite of what you're doing. Just keep in mind, for me, I have to raise money that's way more challenging than you guys as flippers. I raise it for five years. So I want the people that are coming in to my deal. So I need older folks. So, okay, let's talk marketing real quick. Real quick for you guys. Who is the avatar of everything that you're doing, right? What's, who, like, sit in the avatar. What's that? Lenders, Lenders sellers, and buyers for a lot of you, yep. But realtors, contractors, like, who are you looking for? What are you putting information out for? But in this case, if you want to raise money, raise capital as an example, like, if you're raising on, on debt for flips, it's a different avatar than if you're raising for rentals. So if I'm raising money for a rental property, I, I'm, I have a whole nother audience than if I'm raising money for flips or, um, or apartment deals. So there's two totally different avatars for me. The apartment deal and the flip people, there are people who want their money fast. They're, they might be willing to wait. It might be IRAs, 401ks, those kind of things. But they're probably younger and want to churn the money as much as possible and have it compound. Okay? For my rentals, if I'm doing five-year notes and I'm paying you every month, Usually it's older folks that are getting ready to retire that want income. These people don't care about income. They care about net worth growth. 
And these people care about income on a monthly payment. So I'm, for my, for if you're raising money for rentals, I'd recommend going longer term, maybe two years, because you're probably doing some burr strategy or something. I would, I would want to buy as much time as I can get with those people's money where they don't need it back. So I'm not up against the gun. The biggest thing for you guys, whether you're, whether you're doing hard money for flips or long-term money, is you never want your back up against the wall. Does it make sense? If your back's up against the wall, you start making bad decisions. Emotional-based decisions where it's a, you're gonna have to take less profit to serve whoever is controlling the deal, which is really the lender. So in my long-term stuff, I want as much time as possible so if I can refinance in six months or a year, great. But if it takes me three years, they don't care. They just want their payments. They don't, never want their money back. These people over here for the flips, they want their money back as fast as possible. Like for me, I want to churn my money as much as possible. I want my points. I don't necessarily care about my interest. I want my points because that's going to really boost my interest and start compounding that money. Does that make sense? So, so for you, if you're doing rentals, look for somebody who's older, who's looking for passive income, it's usually that person because it's like you need a lower interest rate and you, need, you can give monthly payments there. And that's what I would do. So think about your avatar. Think about your messaging. So what I realized is I had people come. I had all these different people coming. So I, I was looking for different outlets. If I'm raising money, the people that want my apartment deals are very different than the people that want my owner finance deals. Your avatar is so important. The person that you're talking to, if you sit in like what they want. So then I create like my, my long-term deals are like, probably like 60, 60 plus, and they're mostly males. Um, some, some female, but mostly males that are like in that, that age range right now are the ones that have been making the financial decisions most of their lives, right? Just the way it was before. Women have taken a much bigger financial uh, impact in, in families now, which is amazing. But so I, I know who that is, so I know how to talk to them where they hang out. So where do those people hang out? At my farmer's market. They hang at my farmer's market. Huh? What'd you say? Dairy Queen. Dairy Queen. <laughs> yeah. Hey, man, you're back on top. <laughs> back on top after yesterday. Oh, wait. There was a question over here for a while. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'll come back to you. So on the owner finance stuff that we do, this question was on the rentals, interest only um, plus balloon. So um, we, we just do five-year interest only. So yeah, at the end, I have to balloon. So any note is just like, there's not, it's not really a balloon. It's just like pay off the, the principal right? Because nothing's been accrued. Um, but if, like, you can, here's the thing, guys. You can structure it however you want. That's the beauty of private money. The bank, when you go to a bank and you want to borrow money, you're on their terms, right? You guys are used to that right now. When you go to the bank of private money, of friends, family, people that are lending money, and they're not professional lenders, it's on your terms. So you write it whatever you want, Right? You can, you can make it amortize. You can. And so what I do is I find out what they want and need. Like, what do they, what do they need? And then I write it for them. Like, it's the best thing that you could probably say is like, we create custom solutions for our lenders. Like, whatever solution you want, I can create for you. The bank can't do that. Nobody else can do that. I can actually create what you need and what you want and what would serve you the best. And so if you can say messaging like that, Talk to that. Tell, give a video like that. Like, man, that, that's, that's pretty powerful. So if you guys have done the 500K challenge, there's a day where I talk to somebody who's a lead. Do you, have you guys done, heard, done this challenge? 
There's a day, I think it's day 11 on the original one. We moved it up to day three for the Flip Hacking Live one this year. Um, but I talked to this guy. He's in construction. He's like a foreman. He's a young guy. He's, he talks all about his financial world, like how much money he makes, how much he wants to invest. I go through my whole process of like, and at the end, it's like, I'll, I'll tailor this to you. It sounds like you need this. So if they want monthly payments, I might structure something that gives them monthly payments. But if I give them that, I'm going to take something else. So I'm like, hey, I'm gonna, I'll give you monthly payments, but I got to bring the interest rate down a little bit. You know, or I got to spread the term out. So there's all these variables that can just be tweaked a little bit to make it good for you and for them. Somebody usually says, like, in a good negotiation, two parties are unhappy. In my negotiation, I try to make both parties happy. Like I, but usually what I do is I present something that really sucks to them, and I present my thing, and my thing is going to make me happy, and I'm, I'm persuading them to also be happy with my thing that makes me happy. Does that make sense? Anytime I'm giving you two options, it's what I want, and it's the thing that I know you're not going to take. Seriously. That's it. Hey, that's a good quote, Jennifer. That, can you write that down? Seriously, I, I want that on my Instagram somewhere. Uh, in, in my negotiations, I'm going to give you what I want, and then maybe not on my Instagram, but uh, somewhere. Uh, and then, and then, uh, and then uh, something I know you won't take. Because I remember when I was like renegotiating with my sales reps, they wanted like, I knew that I had to get the company to a different commission structure, and I also wanted my sales reps to stay, and so I gave them two options. And I made the option, like, I showed them why the option that, I, that we needed to go to was better. It was just my sales pitch to them. And when you're pitching salespeople, it's really hard to get them to take what you want. You have to make it really good. An option that would suck. So, um, so like, maybe you came to me and were like, uh, so for them, the way that we were doing it before was, um, here, here's what we were doing before. So we were doing, like, 10% flat, 10% payments to them on my acquisition fee. So like if we did a $20,000 wholesale deal, it was like, you know, two, a $20,000 deal, they got two grand, right? And when we were doing flips, they would get like, oh, here's what happened. She wanted, she wanted 10% of the flip profit. She didn't, she didn't, she, so what we were doing before is I'd give her $1,000 when it closed. So she'd get a thousand, she'd get equivalent to 10K if we bought it to flip it when we were wholesaling right? This is what was happening. She, she saw that we made like $50,000 on a deal. She wanted five grand instead of 1,000. Makes sense, right? So she's like, I don't need it. I, I want the 5,000 when it sells. And I was like, oh, okay. That's, let me think about that, right? So I went to my like laboratory and I just, I said, okay, well, here's what it looks like. And so then what I did was I came up with my, what was good for me, 1,000, what she was already getting, right? That was good for me. It was working for me. And I think it's good for her. And so then what I said was, okay, well, hey, I'm willing to do what you want to do. Okay, I'm willing to do the 10% when it gets done. But we lost $35,000 on a deal a couple months ago. So are you going to write me a check for $3,500 when that happens? And she was like, wait, what? And I was like, yeah, we, you know, we, we didn't, do a, good, we didn't good, do a good job. And it was a bad deal, and we lost $35,000. So you got to write me a check for that, $3,500. And she's like, uh, I'm, okay, I'm not sure. And I said, okay, here's the other thing that would happen. So what happens if you decide that you don't want to be with the company anymore? And in three months, you want to leave. Our, on, on average, our flips take four to six months. 
So you're going to forgo that commission when you leave the $5,500 when you can have $1,000 today. So do we agree with that? And she's like, ah. Uh. And I said, oh, also, right now, what happens is when you buy a flip, when we buy a flip, you get $10,000 credit towards your bonus for the month. And when she goes over 50K that month, she gets bigger bonuses. She goes from 10% to like 12%, 15, and up to 20% commission if she goes over $100,000 that month. So right now, I give you credit for $10,000 on your bonus, so you're actually making more money. So if we do this, I can't do that because I have no idea what the credit should be. We might lose 35K, we might make 55K, so you can't do that. And so I just keep stacking where we're going. So in, in the grand scheme of things, I truly think that it was best for her, it's certainly best for the company. Because we're, on average, going to make a lot more money than we are $10,000 on a flip. But when it was all said and done, she goes, yeah, I think where I'm at right now is probably the better way. You know? So I, I, the way that you present two things, so that, that was one I thought the way, it, it's not necessarily that it sucked, but the way I told her about it and the way that I just kept stacking the negative, she just kept going, oh, yeah, it's not that good. It's not that good. It's not that good. I should probably, I, it's, I, it's comfortable here. Does that make sense? So something like that. If you can just like figure out how to persuade them. I like to use the word persuade instead of convince. A lot of you guys say convince. I feel like the definition of convincing someone is to, do so, to get them to do something that they don't want to do and persuade is to get something that they've already decided that they're going to do, to do. So I try to, get, I try to persuade you guys to be here. I don't convince you to come, but I try to persuade you to come. You already know that you need to be here. I just need to figure out how to market to you to get you to come. Same thing. You know you need to be in a group. You need to be around people. I'm not going to convince you to do that. I'm going to just persuade you to do something that you already know you need to do. Same thing for your people. Okay. A couple more. I told these guys that I'd get you guys involved, and I haven't done that yet. I'm sorry. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. I owe you one. I'm going to go to her than you. I forgot. You, you stopped raising your hand. I said it quick. Yeah. Um, so the uh, question was, um, when you're borrowing money from a lender... At the end of the year, when it's tax time, are you required to give them some sort of statement? The answer is yes. Okay? Um, 1099 INT. If you're paying interest, you give them a 1099 INT. And so let's say you pay this person $10,000 in interest for the year, then you would pay them, you know, you give them a 1099 INT that they got $10,000 in interest. You might see um, potentially like a NEC, 1099 NEC. Uh, I usually get those from you guys for, um, I think it's called, I think it's non-employment commission. I think it's what NEC stands for, something like that. And you guys usually send me those, like my company those, for your membership. Like if your CPA usually does that. Um, but that's usually the question, do I send that or that? Send, a, send them an interest statement, 1099-INT. So I get a lot of those. A lot of, a lot of people don't send me those, but um, it's, it's my requirement as a lender to report that anyway. Um, it's just good to track it to say, like if they come and say, why are you writing this off on your taxes? Well, that lender over there sent it to me. So just like a contractor, um, you're going to want them to fill out, what's, that, what's the form called? Uh, a W-9, thank you. Yeah, a W-9. So that gives their uh, EIN or their Social Security number um, so that you can then send them uh, 1099. So contractors too, okay? Um, get them to fill out a W-9, okay? So like everything that we teach here, there's a couple forms to fill out. Lean releases, 1099s, con uh, uh, a contractor agreement, like contract sign, 
insurance, we talked about insurance, make sure they're licensed, insured, those kind of things. Um, but getting one of those uh, W-9s, and, and listen, there's no bigger red flag than when a contractor, you give them a W-9 and they're like, I'm not filling that out. I'm like, what? Like, why wouldn't you fill this out? It's not, what, what are you talking about? Or like, you ask me for a W-9, like I'll email it to you the same day. Like it's my social security number or my EIN, it's there. Like, I've already got it, it's signed, it's digital. I can send it to you right now. Like, that's not hard. They're like, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. What's on your taxes? Yeah, I'm going to report on my taxes. You pay somebody more than $6,000 a year, you have to send it. Oh, 600, thank you. Dang, dude, add, add an extra zero. Yeah, 600. So like, even like Venmo, Venmo is starting to, uh, starting to send these things out, right? So like, I'm getting, our farm did like, $50,000 on Venmo. Like, I'm getting crushed with these things. So, you say you have a, oh, there's one here, I'm sorry. Sure, so two, two questions here. The first one is, um, I've had the same profile picture for 12 years. Was it 12 or 14? Oh, it's new now. So we, 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 we gotta start. So um, like, is there advice for a baby marketer who's not a social media person of how to start? Anybody else feel like that? Raise your hand high. These are all the people that are like, I don't want to say. Okay, so, so a lot of you guys, right? A lot of you guys. So, uh, okay. Um, so first of all, I like to have a strategy. A strategy. So the first thing that I want you to do is just accept the fact that your social media is not for your mom and dad and your brother to see what's going on in your world. You have to accept the fact that it is a business system, okay? So if we can accept that, and you can get comfortable with that, that's step one. Like, this, is gonna, this thing is going to make me more money, so I'm actually gonna spend some time becoming a creator. So all of you are probably consumers on social media right now. Would you agree with that? Okay, so there's a couple people shaking their head no, but even if you're shaking your head no, you are still consuming some, I'm sure of it. Sure of it, because I am too. I, I'm consuming it from time to time. It's completely addictive. Like, you can't get away from it. It's consuming. But I would like you to, to shift your mindset to become a creator on there. And if you're ever consuming it, you're looking at the other people that are creating on there for inspiration. So if, can we, if we can agree with those two things, it's a business asset, and I'm going to become a creator, not a consumer. Except for my stuff, you guys can consume my stuff. Business asset, and I'm a creator, right? Okay, if I got these two things, then at that point, now I got to figure out who I'm talking to. So it's this simple. Who is the person that I want to come in and listen and see what I'm doing? And what could I create for them that they would be interested in? Okay. Give me an example of what you guys want right now. What do you want? Just throw it out. What do you want? Okay, you want money. What else do you want? What do you want? You want deals, leads. What else do you want? Buyers, contractors. What else do you want? That's it. If I can solve these five problems, you guys are good. We got contractors, buyers, leads, and investors. You want to market to people who, who would sell their house on seller financing to you. 
Correct. So seller financing leads. Correct. Is that right? Correct. Okay, so leads, these are just specific leads. Okay. Contractors, buyers, lenders, and leads. These four? Followers? Okay, let me get back to that. What? Branding? What do you mean by that? Do you want to brand your company for one of these things? Okay, for these. But anything other than these? I'm just, I, I want to make sure there's not, like, more. Employees? Okay. Employees? Let's say, like, let's use contractors as people who would work with us. Okay? So now we have four. Contractors, you, contractors can be a term of 1099 contractor, an employee, or a subcontractor. Or JV investors? Okay. Uh, we got buyers and maybe, okay, so there's got seller leads and maybe like partner leads. Partner leads, okay? Okay. So, now what I would do is I would say, okay, you shouted out leads, like I want leads, right? You're asking the question, you want leads. Um, so that's where most people go, is leads. Um, all of these people, are, are any of these people going to be really excited about how much money you're making? Okay, so investors, huh? Do investors care about how much money you're making? What do they really care about? How much they're gonna make, yeah. Okay, how much they're gonna make. Okay, so a lot of times what we do is we like share, um, we see the creators online talking about how much money they're making, and we think that we have to go talk about how much money we're making, right? And so this is a lot of the shift that I'm gonna do on February 20th and 21st, is like if you watch me, I'm gonna talk to you, but you should be talking to somebody else. So everything that Grant talked about last week was like info, product, how much money he's making, right? So let me help you make the shift of how you talk about it differently for you and your avatar and these five people, right? Because if you follow me and what I'm doing, I'm talking to you. So I'm gonna talk about how much money you're making, I'm gonna talk about testimonials, I'm gonna talk about how much money I'm making, I'm gonna talk about how great in, uh, real estate is. You guys should be talking about how great real estate is, but do you think your seller leads care about how much money you're making or how great real estate is to invest in or all that stuff? No, what do they care about? Yeah, they care about their problem. And so they care about their problem. What do they want from you? To sell it, but what do they want from you? Solve their problem? Yeah, they want a solution. They want you to be the solution to their problem. Okay, so the seller leads want you to be the solution to their problem. What do your lenders want? <laughs> okay, pay them back, yeah. Okay. So, so do they have a problem? What? Okay, they're not making enough money. They don't like where their money is right now. What do they want you to be? Secure, okay, but what do they want you to be? The solution to their problem, right? Okay, we're starting to see a theme here. Now we've got, uh, what was the next one? Buyers. What do buyers want? The property, what's their problem? Do they have a problem? What do they want you to be? Okay. Um, now we've got... What else do we have? Contractors and employees and... So what do they have? Do they have a problem? They want a job. They want to make some money. They want to work with somebody who's honest, trustworthy, and can pay them and solve their current problem of they don't have money. Right? And the other one was partners, JV partners. 
What do they want? More money. They got a problem, right? So it's interesting, as I started thinking about this, in fact, I only thought about this like two days ago. I was working with the Altitude Group, maybe a month before that, I was talking to Vaughn and Ben at the A-Figure meeting. And I was like, guys, you can talk to all these same people at once on your page. And so if you can figure out how to be the solution, you're a, you're a, you're a solution expert. You create creative solutions for all kinds of people, right? And you start telling stories about why you got into real estate, about who you are, about what you do, about your integrity, about your values, about uh, somebody you helped, whether it was another seller, a deal that you did, you go through it, you talk about the testimonial, you show that video of that seller crying at the table, you talk through their story, like they, were, they had this problem, they couldn't find anybody else to help, they tried a realtor, they tried to list it on the MLS, they tried this and this and this, and they could not find a solution until they came and found who? Me. I was their solution. And because of that, I was able to help them out of a difficult situation. I was able to bring in a private lender who was able to make, get their money out of the stock market, which was completely rocky, and they were able to make some money on the deal. I was able to fix up the house and sell it to an amazing family who never thought that they could find the perfect house in the perfect neighborhood, and they did. And I helped the neighborhood solve a problem of a house that needed a ton of repairs. And, I don't know, like, I had a JV partner that brought me the deal, and I'm looking for more of those. So in that story, I can say, do, 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 and we work with a new contractor who was amazing, who did this and this, who, was, who said that they would never work with an investor again, but did, they work with us. You can tell that story in one, or you can tell it in five different days, one a day for five days, and then you can keep doing that over and over and over again and create that kind of picture on your page. This is what I do. This is why I do it. This is who I do it with. This is how long I'm going to keep doing it. This is how many people I'm going to help this year. This is how hard I'm going to serve. This is all the things that I'm learning at an event like this so I can help more people when I get home. Does it make sense? So, th so then, then, now you've got, this, you've got this Google page, right? You've got this Facebook page of yours that's a huge ad for what you do and all the problems you solve. And now what do you do? I've created this story. Now I start going into other Facebook groups. I start going into my local garage sale places. I go into all these groups and I start posting, I'm looking for somebody to help. I'm looking for a house. I, I helped a seller who was going through a divorce. If anybody's going through a divorce, give me a call at this phone number. I'm looking for a three-bedroom, two-bathroom house in this neighborhood so I can, I, I can buy it and fix it up. And, and, it doesn't, and it might look to people like you're trying to make a lot of money, but then they go over to your page. So what do you do when you see a thing like that? You go do research. You click, you go do research, and now you go to your Facebook profile, and it's like, dang, this person has served that person. This, that's my story right there. That's my story. This is, they're helping me. They're helping me. They're helping me. And now a contractor is going to go to your page. Contractor is going to see that. Like, who is this person? Go over there, and it says real estate investor, solution expert, da 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 And then they go look, and they say, oh, my gosh, like, that's... This is the person I want to work with. This is the person that I'm interested in working with. They might call you. They might message you. You've got another JV partner. You've got a wholesaler. You've got all these people that start coming to your page and start seeing your ad. It becomes an ad, right? If you go to mine, mine's just a giant ad for I will help you scale your business. I will help you change your mindset. I will help you buy an airplane. Like, I'll help you. You, just, you see my life. How well do you guys know me? Not very? How well do you guys know me? Seriously, like how much of me, my story do you know? 
pretty well, right? You guys might know my kids' names. You, might, you know where I live. You know what we do. You, know, you might know what church I go to. You might know, you, you know so much about me, and I know so little about you. We have developed a relationship before you even showed up. What I've noticed over the past few years is my marketing develops relationships with people before I meet them. We are best friends, and I've never met you. I might be talking to you one-on-one in the gym, and I'm not talking to you one-on-one. It's one to zero. I'm talking with you in your headphones in the gym on a podcast. And what I realized is when somebody's been in the group for two or three years, they have a relationship with me that I cannot reciprocate, and I might walk by them at an event, and what looks like I'm completely snubbing them and didn't say hi to them, when in my head, I just I was in event mode. I didn't even see them. If I did, I'd give them a huge hug and say, it's so good to see you, but I didn't. And two days after the event, they're like, are you mad at me? I'm like, no, I'm not mad at you. I didn't even see you. Like, I'm, so, I'm sorry. But you guys have this relationship that it's, and so you need to do the same thing with your audience. And, and you said followers. You are not trying to build followers, just to build followers. You are trying to build followers. You're trying to build the followers of people that are your avatar that you can serve at the highest level. I would much rather have like a couple thousand really hardcore followers than have a million people that don't know me. And or, I shouldn't say don't know me, that will never buy from me, okay? Because I can go buy 100,000 followers tomorrow for a couple thousand dollars in India. I can do it. I can go buy 100,000 followers on my Instagram right now. I want to build a community. I want to build people. I want to build somebody who will buy from me. I want to build somebody that I can serve. And I want to build engaged community. Because if you can build engagement, I have a 7,000-person Facebook group for the farm. It's highly engaged. I can do a pop-up farmer's market thing at my place and sell three or $4,000 of produce in like an hour and a half. Nobody else can do that. Talk more. Talk more. If you post, they will come. So there's two ways. You can buy your way in, or you can work your way in. That's it. You buy your way in, or you work your way in. Did we talk about this yesterday for you, with you guys or not? Okay. What are you guys doing right now? You buying your way in, or you're working your way in? What did you have to do to get here? You had to buy your way in. The other people at Flip Hacking Live who didn't buy their way in decided to leave and work their way in. Okay? So next year, I know their work ethic. They will be in the exact same spot they were last year. And they will be considering watching you guys grow and scale should they buy their way in next year. I'm not saying you have to buy your way in, but you buy speed or you can work your way in. So for you guys, the strategy I'm talking about of of creating the page and then going to post in all these different groups, like garage sale groups and local communities and things like that for leads and all this stuff, that's working your way in. The other way, buy ads. You buy ads, drive to the page, you're buying your way in. That's what every marketer does. Work your way in or buy your way in. You can choose. One's going to take a little bit longer, but it's cheaper. The other one might go faster, but it's really expensive. Right now, you guys are mostly work your way in people on social media and all those places. And that's okay. And it's going to take time. The cool thing is, in all of this, is it's going to take you some time to find your voice anyway. Like, it's going to take you some time to post and... And figure out, like, and, and just don't worry about who's watching. If you go live, it's okay if there's a big fat goose egg on there and nobody's watching. 
It's okay. You know what? Someone probably is watching. They just don't want to click on it so you know they're watching. They're unmuting because Facebook did this thing where you can just unmute. You don't have to be in there anymore. And they're there. They're watching. But the cool thing about it is in the beginning, nobody's listening anyway. So you can screw up. You don't have to be perfect. It doesn't matter what you say. Nobody's listening. There's an exercise I do all the time. Who here, who, what's your favorite TV show? Favorite TV show, S sitcom, favorite TV show. What, what'd you say, Star Trek? What'd you say? Oh, I thought, did somebody say Star Trek? You did? Okay, that's a good one. What, um, MASH? Who said MASH? MASH? Okay. Hey. My dad's too. <laughs> Who else? <laughs> so who else? These are actually so, way too easy for me to do this exercise with. What, huh? Moonlighting. Moonlighting. Can we give some like more? Can we get some more current ones? Give me some more current. Friends. Okay, Friends. That's a great one. Vikings. That's Netflix. Is that like a new thing? Night Vikings a new thing? Seriously. Anything else? Huh? Did you say Tiger King? Le what? What is it called? What is it called? Letter Kenny. Okay. L.A. Law. L.A. Law. Oh my gosh. Can we get some like younger people up in here, like, like Breaking Bad or Game of Thrones. Like this is what you what did you say? Grades Anatomy. Okay, good. Grades Anatomy. That's even that's old too. Okay, so it's like when I was a kid, I was watching that. Uh, okay, so the, 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 the moral of the story here, now that we've had some fun with MASH and Star Trek, my dad's with Star Trek. He used to, like, he'd come home from work. He'd, he, he, my dad was building his real estate, I mean, his, uh, I say real estate. He's building his engineering business. He would come home, sit in the recliner at night, like 7 o'clock, and he would just pass out, like immediately asleep. And he, but he would watch Star Trek, then Star Trek The Next Generation, then Deep Space Nine. It was so cool, like, watching all that stuff when I was a kid. So... Okay, so who here, so let's use, uh, MASH is like too, too hard for most of you. Um, Game of Thrones, Game of Thrones, anybody seen Game of Thrones? Okay, so enough people here. So did you guys watch like season one, episode one of Game of Thrones the second that it was out the first day? Okay, when did you start watching Game of Thrones? Season three, three years later. Why did you start watching it? Someone told you about it, right? So... The same thing is going to happen with your social media and when you start producing and promoting and putting stuff out there is nobody's going to see it in the beginning. So that should take a lot of load off of you of having to be great and perfect. And don't, don't compare somebody else's chapter 10 to your chapter 1. Okay, so don't go look at all the other people that you want to emulate and be like, oh, I need to be like that right away. Okay, that's not fair in your real estate business. It's not fair in anything. Remember, um, comparison is, the, is, is robbing all of your joy. Okay, it's gonna take it all, take it all away. Okay, so nobody's listening, so just go out and do it, and then eventually you're gonna start getting better, and you're gonna post things, and somebody's gonna, you're gonna, somebody's gonna start seeing it and stuff like that. So, and then your follower count will start going up. It will be relevant to people. They'll start seeing it. Okay, you don't have to do five or six different social media channels. Start with one. Start with the place first of all, and and you might say, where should I start? Now, the first place that I would start is whatever you use because you know it. So start with that. Your avatar is on all of them. Ideally, like ideally, this avatar that you guys are talking about, these five people are predominantly on Facebook. Okay? They're, most of the sellers are older. 
They're not on Instagram. They're not on TikTok. Not hanging out on like Pinterest and LinkedIn and stuff like that. They're on Facebook. Like the, the, the most of those people, even even your grandmother is on Facebook. It's true. Yeah, yeah. And the younger people are on Instagram. Nope. I would use I would use whatever page you have relevance on right now and just start shifting it from cat videos and your kids. You can still put your kids on there. You can still put your kids on there because what it does is it shows you. You have to remember now it's it's a business tool. Look at it differently. It's a it's a lead generator. If you look at it like that. It's a lead generator. And look, your mom can still hang out on there and watch you. Like, it's, it's okay. But, and they might be like, why, why are you talking about all this business stuff? It's like, look, mom, try to make some money. Just leave me alone. I'll buy you a house one day. Just let me do it. And I know what I'm doing. And so, and like, hey, you want the updates? I'll start texting you. Or check out my stories, mom. I don't know how to look at stories. So like, <laughs> I like to put my family on the stories and, and the business stuff in the, in the post. Okay, I've definitely gone a lot over my plan here. You were going to ask a question? Yeah, for sure. So Jenna talks about this JK5 method. I put it in my uh, 500K challenge. So uh, Jenna Kutcher, is a, she's, she's a genius, really smart, awesome person. Um, a lot of female followers. Uh, you go check her out. Um, so she's got this JK5 method. So she's like, pick five things that you're really passionate about and then talk about those different five things. So like for me, it's, it's flying, like business, farm, faith, and so I actually changed my Fs. It was like facts. So facts is like data this year. So I changed it to facts. Like, so I want to be the data guy, like the guy who talks about data, numbers, KPIs, stuff like that for business owners. Um, faith, farming, flying, and family. Those are my five Fs. So five Fs. If you go to my Instagram page, you'll see them all. There's like the little things that you can click on the stories. They're all those Fs. And then what I want to do is I want to talk about different things. I don't just talk about business all the time. Business, 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 business. Because I want to bring people in. For me, it's a little different. I want to bring people in from the different communities that watch something different. Because then I become relevant to them and they'll see the next post. So you guys might see me. So one of the things I do is I'll create an engaging post to get people to comment and like and all that stuff. And then right after that, I'll sell you something. So um, what usually happens is if I can get it become relevant. So like I've had posts that have like thousand comments and then I'll do a post that's like an ad the next one because I know that I'm relevant now and they should show it to more people and so then I'll sell something right after that so that's the strategy that I use you don't have to use that and you're probably not there yet so yeah because you see the stuff that I sell I get you to engage so I'll like throw out some bait bring people in and then drop something this is like a marketing technique for info products um hook story offer yeah how about that? Tons of massive value in that episode. If you'd like the ability to participate in the Q&A session with the investors at the top of their game, consider applying to our programs below. Link is in the description. Thanks for listening.